and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. I'm your host this week, Tom, and I'm joined, as always, by Stu. Hello. Uh, we have a special guest in our midst, a grid rival founder, Ross Fruin. Hello, Ross. Hello. Good morning. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good, mo- good morning for Ross. Good evening for us. Global yeah, podcast. Good to, good to have that. you, mate. Good to have you. <laughs> Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, R- Ross is kindly stepping in in, uh, in lieu of Chris's absence. So he will be joining us, put his predictions knowledge to the test a little bit later, and see how that fantasy sports knowledge comes in <laughs> into play with that. Um, we've got a little bit of news first, though. I say news is kind of still rumor at this point. It's not fully fledged news. Um, but uh, over, since last week, there's been a lot of strong links to a potential return to South Africa for a South African Grand Prix as, of, as early as next year in 2023. Um Seen a lot of rumors of a five-year deal as well. So, do we know which circuit? Um, the original that I can never pronounce the name of. Um, with K. That's the one. Um, which I mean, personally, I think it might be interesting to see a Formula One car go around there. It's a, it's an interesting circuit. Um, be nice to get a race based in the African continent on the calendar as well. I don't know. What anyone else's opinion is on this mm, one? Just just having a quick look at the circuit map. Oh, this we spoke about this. I thought the circuit ago. looked. I thought the circuit looked pretty interesting. The facilities look like they were really nice. Looks like they've been you know built recently. Yeah, the re- um, the rebuild of a lot of things is promising. I, I think we we originally touched on it, Stu, back when um, Dominicali flew straight there from another race. Can't remember which one. Might have been Silverstone. Yeah, we he spoke flew, about he, he the flew straight there. We spoke about the corner names because they've got amazing. Yes. Co- they've got super amazing South African corner names like Mineshaft and yeah. Isis <laughs> and so, Cheetah. Looking, looking ever more promising. I think there's a one of the things that surfaced this week, or well, in the last week, uh, was to do with a a DHL contract to sponsor the race for the next five years, which is where this five-year uh, deal has come from. But like I said, I'd, I'd be pretty happy going to the African continent in some degree, even if it's not specifically South Africa. Yeah, well, it's a world championship, isn't it? So they should mm. go to at least every... As a minimum, you'd expect them to go to every continent in the world, right? So, yeah, yeah it's kind of like a prerequisite for me. Except Antarctica. Mm, maybe it might be a little bit difficult <laughs> but other than that every other continent's good in fact <laughs> in theory Africa's the only one we don't visit isn't it currently yeah that's what yeah, I have read yeah, yeah. so it'd be I'm assuming it'd be there's not many to get it back on. I'm assuming there's not many tracks there that can host well I think I could one be of wrong. the things it'd be very wrong it, but one of the previous problems was that it wasn't a high enough grade, but I think these upgrades have, have now pushed it high enough to be able to host Formula One. And that was one yeah. of the reasons that we've not been back since the 90s is that some of the like runoff traps and barriers and so on weren't up to the FIA's standards needed for Formula One. But the upgrades bring us back in line with that. So fingers crossed. I guess we'll see more of a, a calendar coming together in the coming months, won't we? Summer breaks here, so... Silly season starts with races and drivers very soon. Yeah, and well, this is not a net new race, right? This is a replacement of. Um, it sounds like what they might be replacing Belgium with, right? Yeah, the 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 strange thing about it all was that the provisional calendar that's been doing the rounds, which is 
based on contracts that are fact and contracts that are like more or less done um doesn't include belgium yet uh and a lot a lot of the dates talked about for the south african grand prix where the august sort of time really? slot where spa normally sits so f1 be playing uh, hardball seems... with belgium <laughs> Uh, well, maybe, but that seems like a weird place to put that race. If given where that is in the world, and it'd yeah. be in the middle of summer at that part of the world, that would yeah. be a very, very difficult race to run. Run any motor car, never mind a Formula One car. Um, it'd be a shame if they did get rid of Belgium. Um, yeah, definitely. It There's seems been like talks a bad of idea that for for a while, though. Hasn't there been rumors that that's gonna? I think every time happen. a contract comes up, it's it's one of those, isn't it? It's a bit like Monza. And Silverstone. Yeah. Every time the contract comes up, it's will it get renewed? Mm. So I mean, they they only just re, they've just literally this during the off season built a whole new grandstand um, yeah. there, and they've when they're, like, during the, all the facilities there. So the Rouge, seems... Radion rebuild, isn't it? They've rebuilt yeah. the grandstand next to it's, it. To me, this scene, I don't think they'll get rid of Belgium. I think they they'd be crazy to get rid of Belgium, especially given the number of Verstappen fans that are going to be showing mm. up there every. Yeah, year the attendance well. figures in recent years. Despite yeah, I think the that race too, as far as heritage, you know, in yeah. F one is pretty high on the list too. Yeah. I think it would be yeah, an unfortunate that's loss. That's up there with like Monza, Silverstone. Yeah. Um, all you know, all those really Monaco. Monaco, all those really, really, really big traditional races that like crowns in the jewel. How do you guys, the crown, sorry, of Formula One. That, yeah, it'd be, I think they'd be mad to get rid of Belgium. How do you guys feel about Monaco? Maybe you've talked about this before on your show, but I was just having a conversation about this the other day. About, I mean, I'd be interested to know your opinion, since we've definitely talked about it before. So people have yeah, been more interested I think I'm to on the, hear yours. I think I'm on, I think I'm on the fence. Like, I'd be equally bummed if they if they booted it, but like would kind of also get it. Um, at this point, it's it's you know pure pageantry. I think. Like there's there's really no racing that happens there except for with strategy. I mean, very very few if any overtakes, and so I think, but but it represents something which I think is not mm-hmm. insignificant. I think it, I think what it represents to the sport is is big. Um, I'm sure it still makes a ton of money. You know, monetarily, I I can't imagine it's like a, a loser deal for F1. Um, so it's kind of like. You know, F1 racing has gotten a lot better over the past season with all the changes to the car cars. And so I think, you know, I'm fine to have one race on the calendar that's still, there's not a lot of, of overtakes and stuff. Because um, I think the heritage, the heritage is important. But, I think, you know, the cars are just getting bigger and it's, I think it's going to be, um, I don't, I don't think it's going to be changing. Like if you watch a Formula E race there, there's actually quite a bit of, of passing and yeah. overtaking and stuff, but yeah i don't think the monaco circuit is necessarily the problem i think the formula might be the problem but i think also like the circuit represents a different challenge to the drivers as well it's not as simple as just an out and out race it's kind of like there is a lot of defensive driving happens at monaco because it is possible to drive ultra defensively and keep a position there but while you're doing that you're also fighting the track and fighting your car because they're not designed to they're not at all designed to go through the streets of Monaco, are they? The streets of Monaco are far too small for Formula One cars. Oh, yeah. The fact that they have a race there, I think, is hectic. And I think seeing the cars, especially the onboards, every year, I, I say this every year, every time we do Monaco, 
the watching the onboards of the cars and seeing those streets go by really contextualize like the speed of a formula one car and make you realize yeah. just how fast those cars are going through corners and and you know going around that circuit and there's yeah. not another track on the calendar that really gives you that context so yeah i, I think it'd be a shame to get rid of monaco I, there's definitely other places i get rid of before i got rid of belgium or monaco to fit in the south african grand prix yeah. for sure. i think it to even add some more impact to what you're saying there about the the speed aspect um it's not even the fastest that they get to go and so to get that that sort of um appearance of the speed and the feel of the speed there when they're not at maximum kind of just puts it into perspective how hectic the speeds are at other circuits where they are able to get the most out of them like say a silverstone where you know corners are flat out yeah, or, or Monza. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Monza. Yeah. All right, I'll change. I'll change my. I'll change my stance. I want to keep it now. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not trying to. You know, you, everyone has their own opinion. Everyone's allowed an opinion. I'm not. You know, trying to change anyone's mind or anything like that. I just, for me, I think it'd be a shame to get rid of Monaco. Yeah, no, I, I generally, yeah. I lean more towards that. Um, <clears throat> it's one of the races where, like, as a kid, you know, growing up, I just vividly remember that race. There's a, there was a couple that I just had like a lot of memories of watching and um, <clears throat> a lot of them were, you know, late nineties, early two thousands yeah. cars going around that track. And um, yeah. yeah, you know, I have the same thing, dude. Like I, before I even watched Formula One, like when I was a really young kid and my, my dad was always a, a soccer guy or a football guy. Like he was never really that bothered about motor racing. And um, <clears throat> one day we were going away on holiday. We were waiting for a taxi to show up and he just flicks on the, Grand Prix on I think it was ITV it used to be on the channel and um, the Monaco Grand Prix was on and yeah. I remember that like as a kid yeah. I remember seeing yeah. that like seeing car seeing these really fast cars going around these streets thinking whoa what is this kind of thing just as a young yeah. kid yeah. and that really captured my imagination I wasn't even a Formula 1 fan then and that still sticks with me that's how significant the Monaco Grand Prix is it's funny you say that because um, that's exactly how I got hooked on it back in, in high school I actually spent the night at a friend's house and his dad happened to be actually South African. Um, and so, you know, we, we woke up really early to this TV and I could hear all these, you know, I was into cars at the time. So I I could hear, I could hear the sound of back then it was the V 10s, which was an era I think we all are fond of and, and miss. Um, but then I was just listening to him in his South African accent commentate, you know, on the Mm -hmm. race. And, um, that was, that that was a really vivid memory and and was the thing that really got me hooked back kind of in the Michael Schumacher era. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, you, you, What's yours, Tom? You've got to give us yours now. You've got I mean, to give us well, your my, like, my first memory of Formula One. <laughs> my first memory of Formula One, oof, I mean, some of them aren't brilliant because I remember watching it when I was a little kid and seeing some not-so-great things like Senna era, you know, like early 90s. So... Mm. If I genuinely like, sadly, they're some of the things that, you know, when I think back, the earliest yeah. seasons I can remember moments from, unfortunately, are sometimes those. The earliest season I remember in full was probably just after that when Schumacher was fighting Hill. And that's why yeah. there's a lot mm. of circuits that stick out in my mind for that. Like, Japan always has a bit of a weird soft spot for me. Like I love it when we go back to Japan because I remember like watching Damon Hill win his title there and stuff like that. So that that's one that's very similar vibe that, and I think in a similar way to what Ross was saying, like one of the reasons that made 
Japan stand out even more for me is the fact that it was such an odd time zone, such a you know such a big difference. Like Australia as well, watching them in Australia. Like when I was a kid, it was like me and my dad would get up specifically to watch it at like yeah. a crazy hour in the morning, and that so like those big flyaway races i guess stand out for me from from the 90s yeah. when there was still like, on a, a hectic schedule for the uk and europe that's really cute like father-son bonding as well getting up at like yeah. what <laughs> you would have been up at like five in the morning to watch yeah it'd have been five Grand four Prix five or something for yeah. japan i think that's so, really cool yeah it's crazy that's, yeah. that was a huge tangent wasn't it <laughs> yeah i mean typical back of the grid style we're yeah, baptisms of fire for us just tangent I mean, I was going to say Ross is like clearly a sucker for anything with a, an engine because you were at Le Mans, were you not? Uh, I was. The other week. I yep. was very jealous when I found that out. I was emailing <clears throat> to confirm this particular episode and found out you were yeah. in Le Mans and we got very jealous very quickly. <laughs> How was that? Yeah, uh, it was It was incredible. It was, it was, I mean, I think perhaps maybe once in a lifetime experience, we were, we were guests of United Autosport. Um, you know, which is Zach Brown's team. Amazing. And, um, I have a friend who's a, who's driving, uh, in that car, two friends actually. And, um, so we, you know, we, we got to be in the whole team hospitality suite. We had hard card access. So we can get into the garages at any point. And, um, wow. at this point, you know, with a lot of the people who invested in my company and the connections we've established, like I get to go to a lot of events like that, that are like, you know, not as glamorous. I go to a lot of IMSA sports car racing events here in the States and like IndyCar and stuff, but like, you know, when you go to those, like the team hospitality is like a 10 foot by 10 foot tent, you know, with some groceries yeah. in it. And, and, you know, the pit lane is, is these kind of maybe 15 foot wide, like two story things where people are literally sitting on top of each other. Um, but you know, Lama really was, was a lot like F1 and the paddocks are full of these two story, fully like furnished, um, you know, facilities with TVs and, you know, food catering all day long. Um, so it was, it was, it was pretty incredible and, um, ended up getting, we, we ended up getting to watch the, the start of the race from a helicopter actually, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Whoa. Um, That's pretty cool. So, yeah. How did that come about? Uh, well, I mean, there's, they have like, I think like eight to 10 helicopters there that they just give rides around in the track. Cause you can't yeah. see, I mean, the track's so long, like at one point we, we were kind of, we spent the most of the race like in the paddock ish area and to drive from there to the end of the Molson straight would t- it would take 25 minutes, you know, with yeah, getting yeah. through cause they should, all the roads are shut down. And so we're just like, we don't really get to see other than like kind of, you know, what we saw on TV and we were able to walk to the Dunlop curves a little bit, but um, so people do these, these tours and they're, they're actually relatively inexpensive. It wasn't a ton of money. Um, and so I, the, the friend that I was with who kind of booked all this stuff just said, he, he texted me a couple days before. He's like, Hey, you want to ride, do a helicopter ride around the track? And, um, mm-hmm. I said, yeah, for sure. And then found out like, I think the, a day or two before it's literally right at four o'clock, um, Lamal time, which was, oh, was right God. when the race started. We saw literally the start of the race. Um, that is so rad. <clears throat> so that, so that was pretty incredible. And then we got to, you know, st- um, hang out with the team at the, this like huge, amazing chateau they were at. And so it was kind of a, a dream come true. Um, a lot of the, you know, I, I got into this business obviously because it checked a lot of boxes for me is th- that the last business I ran didn't as far as size and scale and potential market. But, um, you know, one of the things that was, was always exciting to me is I knew that if it, if it worked and continued to grow, um, 
it would open up the doors to being able to be more close to to some of the sports that I love. And as you guys know, some of these sports, especially like Formula One, are hard to get close to. It's very exclusive, and yeah. um, so it was it was an amazing experience. Uh, it sounds awesome. it. I'm I'm now even more jealous than I was originally. <laughs> I thought you were just there, didn't know about this. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Be be awesome okay, to try um, and go next year, but yeah, that's this. This feels like a good time to go into um, Euros and sort of what you do and yeah. and and your company and and all that. So um, why don't you tell us, tell the people who you are, what you do, and tell them about um, Grid Rival. Yeah. So um, founder CEO of Grid Rival kind of lifelong motorsports fan, um, entrepreneur is my second business and really started, actually started as a side project when I was running my last company. And, um, it started because I've, you know, most motorsports fans that, I, that I like can really diehards that this is what I've experienced over my lifetime. And you guys tell me if, if, if you resonate with this or, or if I'm way off, but a lot of the people I talk to would usually classify themselves as mostly or exclusively motorsports fans. A lot of the people are not always diehard traditional sports fans. And there's of course plenty of overlap as well, but, um, and, and that's how I was, right. I, I like soccer. I like basketball, I like American football, but like, I'm not like, I wouldn't pay a lot of money, you know, to go to those events. Like I would Lamar or like formula one or something like that. <clears throat> and so as a result, I watched all of my friends growing up play, you know, season long fantasy football. And, um, I, I saw the engagement it created and, uh, the, the tipping point actually for grid rival was every year at the F1 grand prix in, in Austin, Austin has this really unique set of, um, there's this area along the back straight where you can literally back an RV almost up right to the track. I mean, you're 20 feet from it. And so we've done that a couple of times. And in 2016 was the first year we did it. And I remember Thursday night before the event. I was with one of my friends and I was, I was inside our RV and he was outside watching one of the little TVs on the side and I could hear him screaming. And so I walked out there and I was just like, Hey man, what's everything? Okay. And well, it turns out he was yelling at his phone watching. He was, he was yelling at his phone because his fantasy team was losing and he's watching mm-hmm. an American football game. And so that was, I just remember thinking at that moment, I was like, why does nothing like this exist for motorsports? That's right. And, yeah. and, and there was some stuff at the time. It was always so, you know, it didn't have depth. It wasn't, it wasn't a great user experience. And, um, so kind of went out to solve that problem in 2017, very little ambition, right? It w- this was not a business plan. This was just like, mm-hmm. Hey, I want to create something I think would be fun to use. And <clears throat> we launched that in 2017. We signed up 22,000 people the first, um, six days it was online. Wow. And so that obviously, grabbed my attention. I started to pay a lot more attention to what was happening really in the United States in the sports betting and fantasy sports industry and globally as well, because it's a very global sport. Um, in, in 2018, in the United States, there was a pretty significant piece of legislation that was repealed called the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, which is what has allowed sports betting to grow into this huge industry almost overnight, really in a period of three to four years. It went from you know a couple states offering it to now 35 that are approved um, it's projected to be a $25 billion industry here by, by 2026. So I continued to to look at the space further and I just saw that motorsports was this category that was really neglected. Um, either, either there, either some of the big operators of fantasy sports and sports were totally ignoring it. You know, it wasn't even on the app or if they were, it was always kind of a, you know, they'd take the game they built for football or, 
you know, basketball, they try to jam it into motorsports and, yeah. you know, capture I mean, it's the always like yeah. tucked away in the back somewhere, isn't it? Like it's always an afterthought, it. right? Like it's never um, just you, there. Yeah. 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 It's like you go in a lot of these products and you, you see the top bar where it's like you're selecting your sport. It's like football, basketball, you know, and then it lists like 12 of them. And then there's this category called motorsports where everything is just yeah. jammed into it. Yeah. And it's just like the, the motorsports community is never going to resonate with something like that. And so, um, when it turned into a business was, um, a lot of things happened in my life and in my last company that, that led me to be able to exit. And at the same time, you know, the sport was growing. This was pre drive to survive. Um, and, and this has never been just an F one only thing. It's long-term, you know, there's gonna be, we're, we're going to cover a lot of different series, but, um, you know, the, the industry started to evolve. And one of the things that we looked at is there's a lot of in, in this, in the sports betting, um, kind of fantasy sports community. There's a lot of these niche opportunities, but none of them, and in, in, I don't want to say none of them, very few of them actually, I think are big enough audiences to, to make a standalone business out of. And I think motorsports is one of the ones that was. Um, I think, you know, I, I've talked to some founders that are working on products like in equestrian sports and stuff like that. And I think like a, a, a product specific to that thing would obviously resonate better with that audience than something like, you know, a major operator like a DraftKings or FanDuel or some of these huge names. But, mm-hmm. you know, could you build a company that can get venture financing and, you know, potentially be worth a billion dollars someday? I don't think so. I think with motorsports, the audience is big enough, both in the United States and global, globally to be able to do that. And so um, it, it checked a lot of boxes. It started to make a lot of sense. Um, it was, it met a lot of the things that I wanted in the next business. Um you know, as far as scale and opportunity. And then it happened to be in a, in a space that I love, which was, which is a really exciting opportunity. So um, went full time in early 2019. Um, we had a couple of kind of roller coaster first years launching a season long fantasy game is very, very difficult um, because, you know, everybody signs up for it in this four week window. And yeah. if you miss it, you kind of try again next year. You don't really have a huge growth opportunity after the season starts. And um, any company that wants to go raise venture capital needs to show that they have the opportunity to, 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 to be a high growth business. And so, um, you know, 2019 was, was rough for a lot of reasons that we probably don't have time to go into, but you know, we, we, we worked with an agency to kind of build an MVP. It didn't go as well as I had hoped. And then in 2020 um, we all remember you know, the Australian Grand Prix being ready to go on Friday. Yeah. Everyone was there. And then they said, hey, we're going to shut down the race. And also, we're, we, we don't know what's going to happen the rest of the season. Yeah. So obviously, you know, the prospect of playing a season-long fantasy game was kind of out of the picture. So we tried to get Although it did give you a, much, a nice long prep window after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Um, so so we, finally, we finally got it right in 2021. Um, you know, w- went very well past, I, I think you know, we're, we're a couple hundred, maybe a couple hundred thousand users away from 200,000 total registered, um, on the product. And, um, after the launch in 2021, you know, everything up to this point, and even today, as we talk is, it's free play games. Um, Mm -hmm. that's going to, for the first time change here in in four to six weeks, we're, we're launching our first cash gaming product. We're actually be able to play with real money, um, compete against friends to, to win prizes. So it'll be, kind of the first betting ish product um, that'll be live in about 22 states, in the United States, most of Canada with the exception of Ontario. And then um, um, we, we received our UK gambling license 
uh, let's see, about two months ago. So we'll oh, wow. hopefully be launching there as well, October, November time. Cool. And then kind of the plan is to to continue down that journey, adding more sports. Um, obviously, we have MotoGP and Formula One on the product right now. Um, yeah. Next year, we're going to see um, you know, IndyCar, NASCAR being added. And then we're going to kind of just go down the list where we see the biggest overlap between, you know, where there's um, opportunity with the audience, how big the audience is, where they're, if they're located in parts where we can actually, you know, offer them um, a cash product. So, yeah, that's a lot really quick, um, but that's kind of, the overview of, of, of nice, cool. so, so uh, a lot of our audiences well, we've got we've probably got like an even split of like well slightly more uk and then um just a little bit yeah. behind that usa so what, what's the what is the product for can you tell us about grid rival for for our listeners in the uk and in the, and in the states yeah so grid rival today is a season-long fantasy sports platform so what you do is you join leagues and groups of you know typically friends but there's also public leagues there's a couple of leagues that are four or five thousand people um you know the average i would say is probably 10 to 15 and um what you do is you build and you manage a, a, a fantasy team throughout the season so the way the, the way the game mechanics work is you start the season with a hundred million dollars in fantasy budget it's a model that we created many, many years ago. Um, and you pick five drivers. And in, in the case of Formula One, the sport we're talking about here, um, you also pick a constructor. And each of them has kind of a salary associated with them. And so you can't just pick like the best drivers. And there's also this element of, of what we call contracts. So you, you sign them right now on anywhere from one to five race contracts. So you're kind of managing this throughout the season. And there's really two main points of the goal, the number main goals of, of the game. Um, the first and most important is obviously accumulate the most fantasy points that you can mm-hmm. across the season to beat your friends and right be number one in the league. Um, the second major goal, though, is, is to accumulate as much money um, on your team as you can. So the way, the way that the contract model works is that, you know, let's say I signed Daniel Ricciardo to my team and his salary at the time is $11 million. And I signed him for three races and he has three amazing races. Um, we have these algorithms that adjust salary based off performance from event to event. So after three races, maybe it's worth, you know, 15. So it goes up 4 million, that $4 million, you actually get a bank. Um, Mm -hmm. and over this, over the season, you get to improve your team's value. So uh, at the end of the season, um, you'll see a lot of people that have, you know, go from a hundred million pounds is actually listed in pounds on the product to, um, you know, 140 million by the end of the season. And at that point you get a, you do get to pick a little bit better um, performing drivers. And so that's kind of the gist of the game. Um, a lot of really cool functionality built into it, you know, with being able to look at charts and graphs and historical data and all sorts of stuff for, for the people that like to look at the data to really to, to build the best lineups. Um, and then what we're going to be rolling out, first of all, in about four to six weeks, a complete update of the current product. So total redesign from the ground up, um, mm-hmm. And, and then also with that will come in, like I mentioned, the United States, our first daily fantasy gaming product will actually be able to compete, not in a season long league, but you'll be, you'll be competing event to event. Um, and there'll be, it'll be a pool betting model, right. Where, mm-hmm. you know, me and nine other people join and we each put in, you know, anywhere from as little as $3 to as much as a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and then grid rival takes a small percentage of that. And then, you know, gets, there's a number of different ways we pay out. There's going to be a 50, 50 model or top half split the prize will be a winner takes all there'll be kind of a tiered model where the first gets the most and you know goes down so 
that's the um that's what we, that's what you guys can expect here on the next 60 days yeah that's cool so so as a fan you can go in there and you can essentially based off of your knowledge of the sport you can go in there and potentially win money using smart absolutely you, yeah absolutely that's really cool yep yeah, is is Tom. the do you say there's due to be public leagues for the for the paid game as well, or are they, they all going to be private initially? No, they're all public. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by public? So, like, I can just join any random league. Like, I, when I when I think daily fantasy, I sort of think, as you'll probably know, like the DraftKings model, where yep. I can so for a race weekend such as France, I could just go find a league that's got a stake that's in my personal sort of budget. So, like, say I want a a $5 league or something like that. Just find any $5 league that's listed for France and yep. just kind of join that at, at will, I'm guessing. Yep, that's exactly how it works. So to yeah. start with, um, you know, start with it's all going to be smaller contests, smaller prize pools. So, you know, yeah. three-player contests, 10, 12. Some of the bigger ones might be, you know, 20. Um, and kind of as we go and we see demand, we're going to raise that number. Um, eventually we'll probably have guaranteed contests where uh, the way, the way kind of the pool model works is you have to fill the pool for it to run. Right. Yeah. And so if you have nine people in a pool and the event starts, you know, the 10th, it actually, we have to refund people's money, which is not a great experience. But um, as, as we, you know, get more data and um, are more confident in being able to fill contests, we'll have guaranteed contests, you know, much bigger pools. Um, obviously ambition of getting into the, you know, five and six figure range someday. <clears throat> awesome. awesome. Yeah. Cool. And there you go. That's Grid Rival. Yeah. And what's coming too. <laughs> cool. Um, shall, so um, there's been a lot of talk um, moving on from Grid Rival. There's been a lot of talk <laughs> this last couple of weeks about um, uh, flexible floors, skids, tests, all that, all that jazz. And there's a lot of kind of sort of uncertainty around the internet, a lot of sort of phrases getting thrown around, confusion around what is <laughs> what, like is a floor a skid, is a plank a skid, who knows what kind of thing. And what I'm going to do now is try to sort of unravel some of that and explain exactly what is going on with all this skid chat. Because, yeah, yeah there's a lot of it, and it's taken a fair amount of sort of research to sort of figure it all out for myself. So here goes. There's a few kind of like pieces of knowledge that you need going into this before to, to really fully understand it. And one of the first things you need to know is the way they test the floors of Formula One cars or specifically the way they test the plank. So let's like give everyone like a, a tree trunk of knowledge of all these facts that they need so that they can understand like the whole concept of this flexible floor business. So the first thing is the plank. Now the plank is a, hard, a very hard piece of wood that is supposed to be by by letter of the rules is well but not by letter of the rules but it's meant to be one long plank that goes under the car and that stops them running the cars too low if too much of that plank wears away over a race then they'll be disqualified the way the next piece of knowledge you need is understanding how they measure the plank now the plank has three holes in it at the front and there's one big hole in the back as well and the way they measure it is simply by putting a ruler in that hole and seeing how thin it is. That's the test, which wow. is Formula One. They just stick a ruler in a hole to measure the <laughs> which is why they've got around the rules. Um, so that's the second bit of knowledge, you know, which is kind of like this is now where it gets interesting. So what teams have been doing 
is they've been making that floor sort of disappear up inside of the car as it hits the floor so it doesn't wear away so fast. Interesting. So it's, it's, it's almost sprung. And um, you can see that in, in previous seasons, they would do it on the front. So the, the Haas car and the Red Bull, um, at the front of the car, there's literally a coilover, coilover shock spring that is mounted to the front of the floor. And as the front of the floor hits the ground, it, that spring compresses and pushes the floor up into the car again. Um, which is fine, but again, not necessarily within the idea of the rules, but they've got away with it because they're still passing the test around the flex of the floor. The spring is stiff enough that that when they load, when they measure the stiffness of the floor, that it doesn't move. So they get through Mm. it. Um, Around those holes, there are... Another thing that's called skids. Now, a lot of the confusion, I think, on the internet has been around plan- what, what is a plank and what is a skid. And they're two different things. The skid is like a piece of titanium that goes in or around the hole to effectively to stop that bit of the plank wearing away too fast as well. So that's also aiding in sort of the, the bending, not the bending of the rule, but the aiding of the staying within regulation to stop that floor wearing away. The proposal from the FIA is current. Sorry, the way they the way they measure the plank and the way they measure the distance of the plank to the floor. Another thing they do is they put sort of jacks in these holes to lift the car up. They don't do that to every car every race because there's not enough time. But one of the things they do is is lift the car through those holes, and if they see any movement. Well, they can't see any. They won't see any movement in the in the plank at that point. They, they can't tell if the plank is sprung because they're not touching the plank. They're touching the floor of the car. Mm. Okay, so if, are you still with me? So the the floor of the car and the plank are two different things. This is really important information. Yeah. Um, so when you do that test, you lift the car up. You don't see any movement in the plank. That's fine. What they're proposing now is to make the jacking points or, or the actual jacks themselves to lift the car. They're making them wider than the hole that they're going. So they will now touch the plank, got which it. means that if if anyone's put, got any cushioning between the floor and the plank itself, so say you've got like a piece of memory foam in between those two things, if you lift if you lift it from the floor, you will see that compression. You'll see the floor move yeah. in relation to the body of the car, which is not, which is that categorically that is not allowed. Um, another thing that, that, that the teams are doing now is, you know, I mentioned the spring at the front of the plank that pushes it up towards the car. Red Bull are now, definitely Red Bull are now doing it at the back of the car as well. So there's, if I've seen a photo of the Red Bull floor with a massive hole of it with a back bit of plank <coughs> attached so mm. the advantage that gives you is it, these cars, as they run through the air, the rear of them compresses down. And that means that the, the rear of the plank compresses down as well. But the problem at the moment with the rules is they don't actually measure the rear part of the car at any point. They don't, the rear part of the plank, through the, even though the hole's there, that, that's not a metric that they measure the floor by. They've always done it at the front because in previous seasons... 
the front is where it was most likely to wear away. But with the new yeah. formula, that's changed. It's now the rear of the plant that's much more likely to change. So the new test is is kind of designed to to rectify that. They're they're making it so that the teams can't get away with these flexible floors because if that floor flexes up, the the remainder of the floor, the aerodynamic component of the floor around the sides of the car underneath the side pods can get lower to the ground and thus generate way more downforce, which yeah. people think, well, the paddock think that that's where Ferrari and Red Bull's advantage is coming from. Um, hmm. And from Belgium, they're going to have to essentially get rid of these features of their car or parts of these features of their car and you know, kind of, kind of go go to a more normal setup. That's within the the spirit of the rules, and I think that's where that's kind of like the best explanation I can. That might not be a, a great explanation, but it means what it what it means is that when those measurements are taken, if they do the test on that car, it will fail the test and will be disqualified from a race weekend. So if you do have that cushioning between the plank and the floor, and if you do have a sprung part of the floor that's going up inside the car, it'll no longer be, it, it, it will be possible for the FII to test that and see that you've broken the rules and therefore you will be disqualified. So that kind of, that is my slapdash explainer. Oh, yeah, whistle stop summary of flexible floors. floors. Yeah. Well done. Um, so as a afterthought from all that, this obviously Red Bull and Ferrari have been super vocal in not imposing these sort of rule changes in the middle of the season. I, would, I wouldn't personally call these rule changes. I would just call them strengthening of tests. Mm. Um, but, you know, the politics of F1 means that one thing can be described as one thing by one person yeah. and described as something completely different by someone else. Um, the theory is that Mercedes don't actually have any of this technology on their car. They're actually kind of like put out and surprised they didn't think of it. Because if you can like squish your floor up into the car using memory foam or something like that, it's going to be beneficial. It means you can run the car. You can practically scrape the car across the floor, the plank across the floor, and it won't wear away. So with that in mind, I'd like to do a little thought experiment. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Shoot. And the thought experiment is, what will it take for Mercedes to win a race this year or even a world championship? And can it happen? So, Real quick, how, how, how much, do you know how much distance we're talking about these floors moving? I mean, is it millimeters? Like is it centimeters? Two millimeters. It? It's two millimeters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. But the, the, the surface area of the floor is so huge that it does make yeah. a difference because the actual, you know, the wider parts of the floor are... are covering a very very large space so it's mm. generally it does generate a lot of downforce it's worth probably about three temps three or four temps they reckon um yeah. in terms of you know average lap time say around silverstone or something like that which happens to be about the distance back to mercedes at the moment from ferrari and Red yeah. Bull. And, it, and, it re um, and it reduces lap times because it's it's reducing drag of that particular part on the yeah. surface of the track or is it more aerodynamic it's so it's reducing aerodynamic drag because your okay. car is going, it's, 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 it's pitching back, um, which means the, you know, the trim is then lowered of the, uh, of the, of all the wings. And it's also making you faster in the corners because your car's getting sucked down to the ground lower. And so your center of gravity is lower. You're generating more downforce through the diffuser. It's just, it's super, super beneficial to, to the cars. And actually while we're on the point, it's, 
the FIA are doing this on safety grounds. And that also makes a lot of sense because if people are yeah. messing with like the bottoming out of cars and making floors, making planks disappear up into cars, you're going to start getting quite bad bottoming out of, of cars. It's not, a, you know, the porpoising is going to come back and going to get worse and worse and worse. And uh, there are theories around that it in 1994 on the Williams, it was the bottoming out of that car that sort of sent it into into oblivion. Mm. Um, and we obviously we don't want that happening to these cars. If they're just you know if they've got carte blanche to to run cars as low as they like, you're gonna get cars bottoming out. And as soon as a car mm. bottoms out, you're not in control of it anymore. <clears throat> if that happens in a corner, it's it's you know it's, you're having an airplane clash. Yeah. So. Um, that's the, that's what's happening. They're, they're, they're changing the, the measuring, the, the changing the imposition, the way they impose the rules. They're changing that to on safety grounds, which I, I totally agree with. I also happen to be a well-known Mercedes fan. So I have no problem with Mercedes gaining attempts <laughs> on their rivals this year. Um, and yeah, I like, I wanted to look at like how, you know, if this does have the impact that some people think it might have on the on the order of the championship. I wanted to. I felt like now would be like a pretty good time getting towards mid season. What Mercedes need to do if they are going to influence this championship or even maybe have a chance of winning it. So the Mercedes as a constructor, um, their current score in points is two hundred thirty seven points in the championship. They are 122 points behind Red Bull as a constructors. Um, Mercedes mm. is sitting in third. Mercedes have to score 11.9 points more per race for the remainder of the season than Red Bull. And um, if Mercedes were to get one twos for the remainder of the season and Red Bull were to get three fours, it'd be a 17 point gap you you know in each race if you did that that's 17 points that you're gaining over your rival so as a constructor if this goes their way they're going to be on them like pretty quick like it's not going to take too long for mercedes to catch up yeah um, it's, it's going to be really significant of how it affects that gap isn't it more than anything yeah. um like it's not beyond the realms of possibility like you say like with the maths it's you know it's entirely plausible that should something swing drastically against Red Bull and Ferrari because of this or drastically in favour of Mercedes because of this, then, yeah, the gap's closable and surmountable. But will it be that significant is where I'm not 100% sure. Like, yeah. I, th I think it will bring them back in contention if, it's, if it is as significant as everyone believes for Red Bull and Ferrari. So I think it will mean that... Lewis and Georgia maybe fighting for wins on merit and like more consistently on that podium. It's not like they've been short of podiums this season, but they've mm -hmm. kind of been relying on the other two teams' um, reliability issues or mistakes, haven't they, to get yeah. there in the first place. So I think they'd be definitely on the podium a lot more on merit, but I think it'd take a little bit more than this to completely swing it in their favour. Okay. Well, let me give yeah. you a little bit more. Um, yep. So, first of all, let's do the drivers before we go any further. So, hmm. Russell is uh, currently on 128 points. He is 80 points behind Max Verstappen, who has 208. So, Russell needs to outscore Verstappen on average by 2.72 points per race this season for the, for the remaining 11 races. 
Um, and then for Hamilton, uh, his obviously a little bit further back. Um, he's down on 109. Excuse me, 109 points to Verstappen's 208. So he's 99 points behind. He just needs an even nine numbers, an even nine points per race more than Verstappen, which is obviously a little bit more difficult. But yeah. when you consider that Red Bull have had some engine liability, they've had some aerodynamic unreliability they've had a few things sort of go wrong with their cars and you've got some engine penalties coming up for both mercedes sorry for both from ferrari and red bull suddenly like it almost feels like this might be a thing that could happen for mercedes like certainly in the constructors i don't know like when you factor all those things in together and if they can put up a foot if you know if mercedes get a win this weekend then this topic of conversation should suddenly becomes a little bit more realistic, I think, would you say? Yeah, I, I would personally say it's all going to depend on how things go this weekend in France. And I sort of sit in that typical on-the-fence reserving judgment until I see yeah. differences, especially with it's Spa, isn't it, where officially they'll start the new... Um, the new tests on the floors. Am I right in saying yes, that? Yes, that is that's yeah. the... So yeah, technically, yeah. you might not even see anything this weekend or Hungary because it could be just status quo continuing as we were for two races while Ferrari and Red Bull do whatever they need to do to pass the tests come Spa. Yeah, and that's it. And Red and Ferrari and Red Bull have got a little, you know, good amount of time now before Belgium to update mm. their cars to make sure they they're within the rules. So um, the final thing to add is Mercedes are expected to bring quite a big engine upgrade to Belgium as well. Mm. There's rumors going around that they're putting a lot of work into sort of getting more power out of that engine because it isn't it isn't actually like the quickest engine on the grid. It's been sort of proven by um, data from um, Driver Sixty One, I think it was the thing I saw that it's actually like it's surprisingly like a slow engine this season compared to some of the others. And I don't know how much of that is to do with um, downforce levels and sort of thing. It's just in the speed traps and based on the data that they calculated the Mercedes came out like marginally and it, and very, very marginally the slowest. And they're, to, but to be honest, they're all more or less, you know, give or take a few horsepower, they're more or less the same. Um, it's yeah. just down to different conditions. And, you know, the, 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 the Red Bull has an amazing um, turbo, like a really, really good turbo, which means it runs really well at high altitude, like uh, it should have done at, um, at Austria. It should be quick in Mexico. It's always been quick in Mexico because that, that yeah. Honda Turbo is Even just crazy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, like, I've, I've said, I mean, this is kind of like all designed to just back up my point that I've been making all season, <laughs> which has been keep an eye on Mercedes because I think by mid-season, they, they're going to be back in the mix. And they're certainly, if they're not like fighting for the championship, they're, in my mind, like based on all that, without doubt, they're going to be having an influence on it. Yeah, I think this is a development year for Mercedes, <clears throat> and um, I think that's they're probably. I mean, no one likes losing, right? But um, you know, these especially these like um, big corporate manufacturer back teams. Obviously, I think look at Formula One as a long game, and um, they're making strides, like you said. So I, I kind of agree with Tom. Like, 
I'd be really surprised if by the end of the season, Mercedes hasn't iterated enough to be back on the podium and, and in yeah. contention. I, I think like it would take a seriously dramatic shift in any upgrade they bring relative to any upgrade, you know, another team doesn't produce for them to, you know, being being contention for the championship because that gap is just it's, it's a, a big huge gap. gap. <clears throat> Admittedly, it's yeah, a it's very, big. very big gap. Yeah. But my, my kind of my point of all this as well is that this is like a really, really big change that's coming in. That's why Red Bull and Ferrari have been fighting it so hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. It is it is gonna slow them down. There's unless yeah. they can it's going to catch them out, their, isn't their it? Out of it. Yeah, I think I think, so. I think, I think it's also good. worth I think it's also worth mentioning too, like if you look at where <clears throat> Mercedes was at the start of the season, if they make it, you know, if we're talking in the next three races, that's even more significant. But even by the end of the season, if they make it back to in contention on every single race for a first place finish. I mean, accomplishing that in a, in, in a singular season is significant. Um, there's not a lot of other teams that will make that many, that, that single much advancement in, in a period of, you know, eight to nine months, Um, a lot of teams, it takes multiple years and, and some never actually achieve it. So I think it just speaks to, probably more than anything, the amount of resources that Mercedes has. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's about people and, and um, they obviously have a very talented team um, behind them to, to be able to, you know, t- yeah. take in the data and iterate it quick enough to, to make these changes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Come, comes back to something we were saying right back at the beginning of the year, isn't it, Stu, that uh, the fact that if there's anyone that, any one team that you'd put your money on to be able to develop their way back into contention, from where yeah, Mercedes were, 100%. it's Mercedes. Uh, they're one of the yeah. very few, if the only one, that you'd expect to be able to get back in contention. And I mean, they're yeah. not they're not that far off at the moment, are they? And if they've got more upgrades to come, that combined with this floor um, measurement change, pegging <clears> Ferrari <throat> and Red Bull back a little bit, it, it's definitely not beyond the realms of possibility for them being win challenges on a regular basis. I just think that the the gap as it is, like I said before, is a little bit too much to completely yeah. overturn at this point. Yeah. So. so where, like, I'm going to ask you two both a question now then. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think Mercedes as a team will finish in the, in, in the, in the constructors? And where do you think George and Lewis will finish at the end of the season? That is tough. It's a tough question, isn't it? Yeah. I think... If I was if I was betting a large sum of money, <laughs> um, I, I would I would obviously be you know maybe more conservative with with my with my pick, and I'd probably say third, um, just because I think, like we talked about, if they get back to even, that still means they have a, a deficit. That instead of instead of that deficit going like this, right, it'll it'll flatten. It'll still be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, my pick would be third. I'd love to see Russell you know, finish fourth, third would be mm-hmm. great. I mean, I, w- I, I, I think he's somewhere in the, in the, in the three, four, five group. <clears throat> yeah. I was, I pretty much agree with you completely, Ross. I think that, I think he's a bit too much for Mercedes to, to completely overturn either of them. And as a constructor, they'd probably finish third, but I can genuinely see Russell, if things are, you know, are moving in a, a Mercedes direction, I can see Russell, you know, getting himself ahead of like Perez or Science if they 
start to struggle to maintain the gap that they have over Mercedes at the moment. Um, I think Leclerc and Verstappen are just that just just too good to be like reeled in by losing a couple of tenths a second. Um, a couple, yeah, a couple of tenths a lap. Sorry, like they've already, they've got a gap that's based on just raw talent above everybody else already. And I think Lewis has definitely got that same talent to be able to help close the gap on Sainz and Perez. And Russell, for me, has started to show it this season. I mean, we we saw it in the past with Williams, but his consistency this year has been amazing. So I, th- I think that the pair of them could probably rein in Sainz and Perez, but I think a 3-4 would be like the best for them as a, as a driver pairing, I think. Hmm. Okay, so. I'm going to stick my neck out then. I'm going to say... <laughs> He's putting his Mercedes cap on. I'm going to say <laughs> Hamilton third and Russell Ooh, fourth. Really? I'm going to I, I, can see them bo- I can see them both being in the top five. I, I definitely agree both of them in the top five. Whether they can completely overhaul two drivers. like In theory, we say that they're going to overhaul Sainz and Perez, aren't we? We're realistically yeah. saying Verstappen and Leclerc are going to fight out for the title. And towards the end of the season, Russell and Hamilton are going to be sticking their nose in, trying to cause trouble and maybe to swing it their way. That That's what we're saying, ultimately. Oh, well, what's you saying? <laughs> Specifically. What I'm saying, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I used the royal we there and realized that's <laughs> yeah. not quite how I see it panning out. <laughs> um, cool. There you go, then. So that's that's kind of like... A brief explainer on floor plank skid, you know, craziness. And yeah, yeah it's very fascinating. Some, some Thank thoughts you for on, doing that on Mercedes. Yeah, well, um, well done on so that, you. It's time for some storylines for the week. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll run through oh, these. I'll give you a minute. You, um, you can you can have a a drink and rest for a minute. I'll run. I'll quickly run through these. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> you've been yeah, taking yeah. a while, so I feel for you in this heat. Um, so yeah, going into France. Um, I mean, we've kind of covered this already, I think, to to some degree. But can Mercedes keep their momentum going? And to, do you know what? I'm gonna throw Haas into this as well. Can Haas also keep their momentum going? They've been really, really strong. Mick, in particular, has really started to find his groove. Do we think both those teams and and Mick specifically as a driver can they continue scoring points the way they are? Do we think that this circuit will suit them? So yeah, Mercedes I think should do well uh, um, in France. It's a silky smooth circuit, and um, yeah, they've shown that they can be competitive at these kinds of circuits. I think given developments that they're bringing to the car, I think they should be. I would. I think if they're going to win, given the current situation, I think if they're going to win a race this season, this is the one that they'll be looking at, thinking we've got a chance, especially given recent races. Haas, um, I mean, Haas have just got to keep having clean race weekends, really, and. And kind of like, I think where has struggled the most is is sort of putting together tidy weekends overall and not having you know incidents and not having things go wrong for them. So if they can, if they can have a similar, say for Schumacher, if they can have a similar performance to what they had in Austria, then I see no reason why they shouldn't be in the mix for maybe not a podium, but they'll be best of the rest potentially. Yeah. How about you, Ross? How are you feeling about? Mercedes and I don't have anything to add specifically to those thoughts. Um, But I did read that Red Bull and Alpine are bringing a bunch of upgrades, not to change the subject. We we don't have to go there yet. 
Oh, we've 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 got a little bit of Alpine. Don't worry, um, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, Ferrari reliability was have been their thorn in the side so far this season. Do we think it's going to be a, an issue again here? Um, is he going to compromise their their push towards Red Bull? Uh, like, can they? Because I mean, we've talked about it a couple of times already this this season. We were struggling to find races where we thought they could overthrow the Red Bull going into the summer break. We were very surprised in Austria. Um, I mean, that kind of leads us on to the other one as well, which is to do with Red Bull's tyres. So Ferrari engines, Red Bull tyres. Do we think... Yeah, and it's gonna, when you said reliability going to Ferrari, again. I thought you were talking about their... When you said reliability in Ferrari, I figured you were talking about their um, their strategy team, maybe. I mean, there is that as well. For Ferrari have to overcome a lot to win a race these days. They have to overcome the engine setting on fire, the strategy team, and Sainz is like affinity with finding a gravel trap. So they have, have a lot to overcome. Look, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, it is so wild to see them struggle with the amount of you know. I mean, that company is built around this team, uh, and you know more than any other team ever. And it's just like, I, I really it's hard to watch sometimes like yeah i really want them to win yeah i've actually yeah. become a ferrari fan this season like I, i've never yeah. i'm like historically i've never been like a big fan of those guys i always found the way they just do go about their business as a team i've always found it a little bit eh, you know not not very cool but yeah. and i think a lot of that is down to like the way they like they basically run a one car strategy. Well, for, for, for a lot of seasons, they were just running one car strategies and having the second car was just there and they were just focused on one car, everything. Like Raikkonen just had such a rubbish time at that team because he was just never given the opportunity to really do anything. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, the, the, we mentioned strategy. I think like the big thing that's going to affect both teams this, this weekend is going to be the heat. It looks like it's going to be really, really, really hot. Um, yeah. So if the mechanical gremlins are going to come back, I think it's potentially, you know, that's going to be a cause of it. There's definitely going to be some overheating. There's going to be some a lot of car management. There's going to be a lot of cooling on those cars, which is probably going to slow them down a little bit as well. Um, whereas Mercedes just don't seem to be putting too much cooling on the cars. They're not running. I know they've not been running their engines at like absolute maximum all season either because they just haven't been that competitive. So there's no point wasting those engines just yet. But... Yeah, um, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a tough race for both Ferrari and Red Bull. I think definitely with Mercedes sort of breathing down their necks, um, I reckon we're in for a really, really close fight at the front. I think we should be qualifying should be really, really interesting. I think the race itself is going to be fascinating. I think you're going to see a lot of overtaking, and we could be seeing. You know, you might see three or four leaders at this race if if everyone shows hmm. up. So yeah. Now, yeah. historically, in in my in my memory, and as I get older, I, I'm sl slowly losing it, so I could be wrong here. <laughs> Historically, this race, as I remember it, has been fairly tame. Oh, yeah. I I mean, <clears throat> sad, sadly for me, this is one of the ones that when, when, we le when we go through that entire process of like circuits we wouldn't miss if they were gone, Paul Ricard always ends up falling into that category for me because I, I genuinely can't think of like a memorable race that we've had since we've started going back that makes me think it's worth keeping on the calendar. I'm really interested to see how this year's cars will have an effect on that because with how they can follow each other now, yeah, that yeah, could be, that, that could, could be, be a big factor. Exciting. Like, yeah, all, all those sort of big sweeping late apex corners, 
we may find that drivers can suddenly be up another driver's gearbox essentially going into those whereas before in the past they're dropping back because they need that air, they need that clean airflow and mm-hmm. i'd be really interested to see how the new aero regulations do actually have an impact on there so i'm sort of reserving judgment i'm not i'm not just damn yeah, it. that's a great point. <laughs> just yet. Yeah, um, I, I think this car is this this circuit is designed for these cars almost. Mm. I feel like these cars will do really, really nicely around this circuit, and I think um, you know, there are some really so. long straights on this circuit too, yeah. and they can follow each other through the corners. In this, you've got some fast corners leading onto some long straights as well in places. So, um, especially you know that that final turn, I think it is like the big long right hander that goes right around like a horseshoe. Um, you could see some overtakes like on the start finish straight, um, which again would be sick, especially for the fans. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there yeah, was... I, I, I can really see this, this, these cars doing, going really, really well around here. Speaking about uh, earlier, we were talking about race contracts with some of these facilities and I don't know where Paul Ricard is in their, you know, how many more they have left, but there was a rumor. I don't know if you guys heard it, that the city of Nice um, put in a bid to have a, a street race in Nice, France, to replace mm. the. It, it would obviously re- re- replace the race that <clears throat> Circuit Paul Ricard. But I don't know. If, I don't know if you heard yeah. that. But that that would be that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah it would be, be. I, don't, I kind of like. I have a bit of a weird thing. I don't think we need any more. Like, <sighs> part of me likes the idea. Like. I think Formula E nail it. Like Formula E bring the racing to the people and, you know, they get good turnouts every race because no one has to drive out miles out of town to get to where the race is. And I think there is a place for that in the world, but I just don't think Formula One cars, especially this current generation of Formula One cars, make great street racing cars. Um, I agree. I think they're much better on, on... you know, traditional proper race circuits. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about and, it. Like, I'm, and it's like what mind, fifty like... miles, a hundred miles down the road from Monaco. For I mean, I'm not saying it'd be a carbon copy, but it would be a well, very, very similar, very setting, similar sure. race, wouldn't it? Yeah, in terms yeah. of the setting and the tight streets that we'd that they'd be using for it. So maybe if it, I mean, Formula E sort of half went to Monaco, then half didn't. It sort of alternates a little bit. That could be one of those that, like, you have like a, a French Riviera race, and it's it's Monaco or Nice, or if there's anywhere else down there that you could host, like this Cannes and stuff like that. There's there's plenty of like high profile places down that coast, isn't there? With it, I bet would love yeah. to have a Formula One car fly around them every so often. My so. main feeling of it on it is like I don't hate the idea of a street race as long as like they can set the street up properly for it. So, like, there's some really wide sections in Baku where, like, you see, you know, some really, really cool racing. I think if they can do that and turn it into an actual decent racetrack, then why not? But I'm looking looking at the circuit now, uh, Paul Ricard, and I I, I kind of think don't throw away this circuit just yet. I think wait until after this. Yeah, let these cars get around it. And let these cars have a go on it and see what they do. I said there was a long right-hander onto the the home straight. There isn't. I'm wrong. It's a long left-hander into like a sharp right-hander onto the straight. Yeah, there is a a long right-hander, but it's it's after after the back straight. So you've got the back straight with the little chicane in it that they've got in that's like sort of reminiscent of a baby version of what's on Le Mans. 
um, super long, little chicane, super long. And then there's like a very quick right-hander that's like flat, and then that goes into the big horseshoe one that I think you're thinking of. Yeah, with like yeah, the yeah. really late apex on there. So yeah. they'll be able to yeah. follow each other through there, man. Like, th- this is going to be. I think so. Race. I, I, really I think it's going to be a really interesting test of the new era. Um, mm. And then lastly, Ross kind of mentioned him a little bit before, but Alpine, it's their home race, being a French team. Um, do we think they could put together a good weekend? They've they've started to look stronger as weekends have gone on. We know they've got like overall speed in the car because there's been times where they've been fastest through things like the speed traps. Um, I mean, in, in Austria specifically, Ocon was fifth and Alonso was tenth, so something to build on there probably and maybe yeah, a good got double points finish like- for their home race. They've got Alonso's 10 million IQ as well, which always helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, fifth in Austria for Ocon, 10th in Austria for for Alonso. I think like they've got a chance. I think obviously their main competitor in this is going to be Haas. I think that's where the interesting race sort of in the midfield is this weekend for mm. me. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not much to say over there. And I think it'll be exciting to see, you know, the likes of Alonso going up against Magnussen and Schumacher with Ocon in the mix too. Or like, yeah, I think there's, there's some good racing to be had there. The, this race always throws up like, in, or or in the, in previous years, it's thrown up really interesting ends of races. Like people seem yeah. to come together on strategy repeatedly at this race and you just end up with like sort of four-way fights for position. So mm. I'm expecting some of that in the midfield from these guys. I think it could get really spicy. So yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm super and, and I think it's going to be a good race. The, yeah, and the upgrades that Ross mentioned that we're expecting Alpine to be able to bring to this race, like they're, they're aiming to be significantly updated. So if, if those all fall into place, there's some potential some good points there, I think, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So with all right. that in mind. All that in mind, as we always say, it is time for some predictions. Um, quick reminder to everyone listening, if you haven't joined us <coughs> before, it's still worth doing because there's always a prize if you get five out of five right in this next section. Uh, so head to backofthegrid.com and register if you haven't already. Uh, there's also links to uh, Grid Rival and the like, so we'll cover that as well shortly. Um, right, fastest in qualifying. I'm going to, as the host, Stu, I'm not going to make the guest go first, and I'm <laughs> talking now, so it's going to have to be you. Who do oh, you dear. think is finishing fastest in Q3 this week? You know what? I'm going to stick my neck out and say Hamilton. Interesting. Whoa, okay. okay. I'm going to do you it. are I'm really just having just a lot of belief in these uh, these updates, aren't you? Yeah, I, I'm probably belief. wrong, but I'm pretty much out of the predictions league at the moment because I've forgotten to submit <laughs> predictions last like three races. So yeah, I can You're say whatever behind. I want now. <laughs> <laughs> Bold. Um, I'm going to go with Ferrari. Um, a lot of power here. Um, Stressful on the tyres, which I don't know how Red Bulls will take that, you know, with these long sweeping corners with what we had in Austria last time out. So I'm going to go with a Ferrari, which I generally think is the fastest, and that's Charles Leclerc. My pick is purely statistical based off of past (laughs) and, um, you know, just looking at at data on our app. Um, And... And I did also read that Red Bulls expect to bring some upgrades. So I'm going Verstappen this race for nice. quality. My next, nice pick will not, my next pick will be less based off statistics. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to make it now then, Ross? Do you want to go first for the winner yeah, so of the I was race? Going, so I, w- I was going Russell. 
and uh wow i'm i'm yeah i'm being a little bit ambitious i really want him to 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 succeed um and i agree with Stu. there was you know there's lots of comments about merck potentially being quick here um so and i think that we've seen russell contend with lewis like many many times um i think he's 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 gonna give him a run for his money when they're in you know vehicle that's competitive and so ambitiously i'd love to see him um on on top of the podium i think ever since that race i think it was two seasons ago where you know he stepped in for valtteri and it it was basically his to have and he kind of got who knows what actually happened but um i've just kind of had this this spot for him where i'm just like Mm -hmm. he he deserved to be there i want to see him there so i'm going russell nice Nice. i'm gonna be really really boring and just say leclerc sees it out for a a double pull just rides it out the whole race win. rides it out yeah it could be entertaining and still finish with him in first that's all that's I'm saying. true that is very true <laughs> i think i think hamilton is i think hamilton will lead from the front and i think uh, i i'm convinced that that mercedes <laughs> this weekend is going to be quick enough to to not wipe the floor with the opposition but i think they're going to be i think they're going to be quite dominant i think there's a good chance they're going to be really really quick interesting this is either going to look really, really good come Friday practice or really, really bad. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. It's going to swing one way or the other. Yeah, I'm nervous. Uh, Making myself okay. nervous. First DNF. Um, this is always a tough one. And I always kind of go someone who where the race means something because that's usually the look people get. And I'm going to stick with that. And I'm going to say Pierre Gasly is home race. is going to be the mm. first DNF this weekend. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I like your thinking, you know. I don't. Yeah, hate maybe 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 Ocon. trying a little bit too hard into turn one or something and making a silly mistake. I don't know. There's, there's a lot. There's, it always seems to work. There's like a logic to some degree of people out racing themselves when they, when something's yeah. on the line. Okay, so, is this right? Has 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 Daniel Ricardo not had a DNF the whole season? Is that right? Oh, um, it might be. You put me on the spot there. I'm pretty sure he's finished the majority, if not all, races, but barely in the points, I think. Um, oh, Saudi Arabia? He, um, I don't think he finished Saudi Arabia. Discord chat are also saying that he didn't finish in yeah, Saudi, Saudi Arabia. he didn't finish in Saudi. What was but it? yeah, gen- generally speaking, he's, he's finishing races, just not in the points, which is the unfortunate thing. Or at least not as consistently in the points as... Lando has been. Mm. So I was going to say Stroll. That was my guess. Uh, I thought you were going to say he's due a DNF then and go and go with. Well, that, that's Ricardo. what I was going to say, but you know he had had one, and 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 so I, I looked at like who has had the most, and then I kind of looked at like you know who has who has due one, <clears throat> and yeah. so thought maybe Ricardo was due one, but um, looks like he's had one, so I'm going Stroll. Okay, I mean I'm that's popular within Ocon. Discord. You're going. Oh, you're going on the same principle as me. I'm going to go you're the other way. Du- yeah, yeah. You're going but, double home, the home team and home driver. Yeah, because I, I think the pressure is going to be really, really high on him, and mm. and it is going to be quite a heated fight between them and the Haas yeah. cars, and potentially even the McLarens. So they're um, going to be amongst it, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really, really, really tough fight in the middle, and it's going to be really close. And I think oh, it's just got the potential to be like a lot of elbows out, and and some it, there could even be like a big. It, this race like tends to 
make big turn one sort of accidents. It's not accident, not big accidents. It's quite a fast turn one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fast turn one and they they all bunch up and it's got, there's usually a car goes out in turn one. There's usually like a a front wing lost at the bare minimum. So Mm. these cars, it's a lot more difficult to see. We learned that last week with all the penalties. Um, (laughs) So there's a lot of potential into turn one for some (coughs) RG. So yeah, I think he could come a cropper there. That's that's yeah. my prediction on that one. Okay. Um, next is number of finishes. How many finishes do you think we? I, th- I think it's your turn to go first. To be honest, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Here. <laughs> oh no. Um, I I said 17. Um, yeah, it's a good solid you know, number. Big track, lots of runoff. Um, you know, I think the majority of DNS we see should be reliability. Um, mm. Then again. You know, if Stu's comment about how this track is set up for much closer racing, you could see, you know, you could see some people touch each other. And, um, but like I said, Paul Ricard has a lot of very, it, it, in some ways there's, there's spots and that remind me of circuit of America's where it's just like really, really yeah. huge runoff areas. Yeah. Um, which, you know, make it forgiving, uh, in, in times where you get spun off or you, you run off the track where, you know, so you replace like Baku or um, Saudi Arabia or some of these places where there's barriers, right? There's there's no room for, for error. Um, I think that can lend itself well to a larger majority of the cars finishing the event. Yeah. I'm on a very similar thought path, and I'm saying 18, because in <sighs> my memory, we sort of generally have quite a lot of finishes here. I, I could be wrong, but I think... It was either it was last year we had a full grid finish, wasn't it? We had a full twenty finishes here. Wow, really? So yeah, like not everyone on the lead lap, but pretty sure everyone finished. So I, okay. you're right; it's high numbers. Is it mis- mistakes are less costly here, aren't they? In terms of running wide and getting off track, and people back out of moves a little bit more. You know, if things don't like they're going to work, like you say, because there's runoff to be able to just recover from it. So, yeah, I think it's mainly... to escape dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I think mainly it's going to be mechanical things, if anything. Hmm. Uh, how many finished the last race, Austrian Grand Prix? Oh, Austria we was had... 15. Yeah, we had quite a few retires, didn't we? I think. You, put, you keep putting me on the spot with these stats I don't have ready. Sad times. <laughs> Uh, 18 finishes. 18, oh, maybe more than I thought. Maybe it felt oh, no, like they were all like That's the sprint, that's the sprint, sorry. Uh, right. 17 finishes, 17 finishes. Oh, there you go, so I've added the two together. <laughs> yeah. Two DNS um, and one I and three. I think, I do think there's, there is a hell of a lot of runoff. Um, so to hedge my bets, I'm going to go 19. I think if Ocon does mm. retire, because mm. th- there is the option to have no DNFs, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, you could say everyone finishes. It's, it's an option. I can see that being but, used this week, to be brutally honest with you. And I nearly went 19 myself, but then I sort of remembered what I've just said about Gasly, so I felt I had to... It was an obligatory have, have 18. Been, have there been any events this season where all the whole field finished? Oh, this season would be a good question. I'm not sure about the season. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah. Um. So, the, but the, this is usually one of those. Monaco was a really weird one for that last year. Monaco is one where we usually don't see that. And last year, I remember that everybody finished, and it just really stood out to me. 
So I remember when I watched Monaco as a kid. I remember watching Monaco, you know, 20 years ago and it was just a disaster. Every race It was like there there was (laughs) nine or 10 cars that didn't finish. No, we haven't had a race this season where there were no retirements. Everyone's at least one. Well, maybe we'll do one then. Mm, Maybe this, if if we're going to get one, this will be it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've just, put a dagger through my own heart by drawing the random driver and it is Esteban Ocon. Oh, God. So I don't know what to do with this one. That's quite fitting to be fair. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna go for it. I'm going to go for it. 20th. Oh, really? He's money, he's, he's, so he's money mouthing. So we tend to call this money mouthing, Ross. He's basically put him down as first DNF. So he can either hedge his bets and like give him a, a random driver position that means that if he's not first DNF, he might get some points back or he can put his money where his mouth is and say that he will finish 20th and double down. And he's doing it. He's going 20th. Um, I can can see points for Ocon and the Alpines. I can maybe see Alonso out driving him, though, just from experience. So eighth I'm going with for this one for Ocon. Oh, that's... That was so he's ranked eighth right now on our on our app based off of fantasy points for the season. Oh, thank so you. Tell me you work in sports. Ross, tell me you work in sports betting without tell me you work in sports betting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go eleventh. Uh, Ooh, just outside the points. Nice. Interesting. Just outside. And if you want to get points this week, just. Follow Ross's predictions and you'll probably... Yeah, Ross, Ross has a statistical analysis to back everything he's set up. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll that rounds we'll off our predictions. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how well you do. This is the bit where it just puts, puts us out of our own predictions league by having a guest absolutely annihilate us. Uh, <laughs> then again, that happens all the time with the listeners, to be brutally honest, because we do it so far in advance of a race weekend. Uh, but, yeah, if you want to get involved, head to backthegrid.com. Like I said earlier... If you've not registered yet, it's still worth doing because there's a prize if you get five out of five on any given race weekend. Um, and then there's also links there to Ross's app, Grid Rival, where you can join our league. Um, again, uh, there's, there's plenty of space in there. There's hundreds of us now. So come join us. Um, and then given time, we can maybe do <laughs> maybe do some money mouthing and put your money where your mouth is on Grid Rival eventually. Uh, right, should we do a little bit of inbox to see us out? Shall I get that jingle out? Yeah, play the tune. Let's get the jingle. Is keep it saying now. Stay, stay out. Box, box, box. Hey man. <laughs> the joys right, of the inbox it. jingle. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll I'll take the first one. Um, this is one's from Wes. He asks. Oh, it's a question for um, for Ross. How complex is the algorithm that assigns points and value to drivers? And is it track specific? And how do you account for the potential for hypnosis at Paul Ricard? <laughs> That's the strike. I wasn't talking uh, about that last bit, but maybe the, the two <laughs> bits before. Points, that. Uh, points are fairly straightforward, with the exception of one point category we have, which is called improvement points, which we created specifically for Formula One. Uh, there are six ways you, you earn points. Um, five of them are pretty straightforward, right? Qualifying position, race finish position. Uh, percentage of the race that was finished so it's stuff that's like really easy to measure we have an algorithm mm-hmm. called personal improvement points and basically what that does <clears throat> in series that are historically more predictable right which f1 would fall into that category um less so this season than, than last which is great but historically 
fairly predictable. And so we created this thing called personal improvement points. Um, it tends to be something that people either either really love or really hate because it's a little bit polarizing. But the way it works is we track a driver's eight race average, right, based purely on finish position. And then if they beat that average in the, the subsequent race, then everyone one drops off the back of that, that um, formula. If they beat that, they're assigned points based off of how much they beat it by. Mm-hmm. And and what that does is it awards drivers who are maybe, you know, towards the end of the pack or midfield drivers for finishing above their average because yeah. the thought is, you know, Lewis or Carlos Sainz finishing second, third is probably not as significant as an achievement as Schumacher finishing in fifth, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how personal improvement points. The salary algorithm is the most complicated Um there's we actually lay out the exact mathematics of it in our in our <clears throat> support channel if, if anyone's ever interested but essentially what we do is we compare drivers to themselves race over race so we have a table we basically have a static table that says um the default salary of every driver in every position right so let's mm-hmm. say the default salary of 15th position is 11 million i don't know if that's accurate off the top of my head but basically every race we look at where that driver finished based off of fantasy points. It's the most important thing you can hear is it's based off fantasy points because that's how the game is operated. It is not based off finished position. Now, finished position accounts for the majority of finishing quality account for the majority of fantasy points, but sometimes the two differ. So basically at the end of every event, we look at where is their current salary relative to the salary of that position. And then we make an increment, the, the most amount of salary will increment plus or minus is 2 million which is pretty big. Some some of these games we've looked at are very small. So some people like that because it gives them the opportunity. One of the things that you're doing a lot of times when you're building and managing a team on grid drivers, you're looking at which drivers are underpriced, right? Yeah. Which which have had three or four bad races in a row. And so their salary is tanked by $6 million, but yeah. like they're kind of an anomaly. And so you buy them on, on the upswing. <clears throat> um, so that's, that's kind of how salary works. Um, and, and that's kind of a formula we're always refining um after running this game for three seasons we've we've tried a number of different models and and no one's ever happy with you know like you can only satisfy so many people some people think it should work one way and some people think it should work another um but we've gotten better better at time you know explaining it understanding it but i think the biggest thing could 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 re-articulate is just that the the number one question we always get is like hey this guy finished in you know first place why didn't his salary not jump up well, he may have finished third in fantasy points um, because, you know, we award points for overtakes. And I also talked about the personal improvement algorithm. So a lot of times, you know, if you have a driver that starts in 18th position and he finishes and he averages, you know, 18th, but he finishes in 10th, he could, he could, he could feasibly finish, you know, sixth, seventh in fantasy points. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the big things that, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that play this game, have never done fantasy sports before. And so there's mm-hmm. kind of this learning curve, but hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, it's that's really interesting because it, it shows you how sort of interwoven like the, the 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 way these games work are. It's not just based off of like the result in the sport. It's actually like yeah. the game is looking inwardly back at itself yeah. and, and you know figuring out its its parameters from that, not just the result, which is which is really interesting. Yeah, and some people like it, some people don't. Um in the future, um you know, we're going to allow people to hopefully create some flexibility in that without saying too much. How does that sort of compare to other forms of sports that that work these kind of um, games? Like, 
do you see similar things in like football and basketball and so on when they're doing fantasy sports? Because obviously they're not really. It's a different, um, it's a different n- environment, isn't it? Yeah. So the way leagues work in generally in motorsports, um, and again, eventually you're trying to create a, a model that's that we can offer that's that's kind of more similar to traditional football as an option. But you know, the way it works in football, American football, which is kind of where fantasy sports started, like way back in the '60s, um, is you know you have a te- you have a league that's usually limited to ten people. Sometimes it's more, but you know there's there's essentially 1200 athletes that are, are, are rostered. Right. And, mm-hmm. and maybe yeah. the top, you know, 200 of them are, are, are people that you actually would want in your lineup. So everyone actually has a different team, right? I can't pick the same quarterback that yeah. you guys can pick. And I think it probably works this similar in, in, in European football or football. Um, <laughs> and so w- with motorsports, you have a little bit different challenge, right? Cause you don't have, you don't have that big of a field, right? You have sometimes 20, 30, maybe in the largest series, 35 drivers. And so we kind of all have to pick from the same pool. And so the model's a little bit different. Um, so uh, ho- hopefully that answers your question, but um, a little bit of a different dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I think the cool. salary cap model, I think the salary cap model works good, especially for like the really yeah. diehard players. Um, there's other games we've seen in, in sports that have a similar dynamic where like there's maybe only 20 athletes to choose from that i've had a model where like instead of salary cap being the limiter um you know they, to keep people from signing the same team they have a they have something where like you can only use every athlete a certain amount of times during the season so like if it was mm-hmm. you know in, in formula one like you'd only use lewis hamilton your team for for six races a season um so that kind of is like the barrier yeah yeah yeah, I mean, Wes himself is happy. He's in the Discord saying that's totally answered my question. It's super interesting. So, well done, there you go. Live, live question. Live, live reaction. Right yeah. Uh, yeah. Another, another one from Wayne um, saying, thoughts on the recent sprint race. Surely it would feel better to follow the F2 format by having quality on the Friday, but it sets the grid on Sunday, and then the Saturday sprint is a reverse grid for the top 10. Teams may actually mm. go for it more knowing that it won't affect their start for Sunday's Grand Prix. Yeah, I'm preaching to the converted. We've been saying this since the <laughs> beginning of sprint races. So, yeah. or, that sounds, at least say that sounds river- super interesting to me. Um, my, me personally, I think, um, you know, if they did away with them, this is just me, I'll be fine with it. I think the yeah. sprint race mm. was really needed pre this new era right? There's a lot of activity yeah. happening. I think there's more passing I've ever seen in a very long time. I think the sport is more interesting because of it. it's more engaging circuits like, you know, Paul Ricard, hopefully will be, be kind of livened up because there's a lot more overtaking. And so I think like, if I look back at when they brought the sprint race in, I think it was really to mix things up. And I just think like, I don't know that, that we need that as much anymore. I'd agree. Yeah. I'd agree. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I think Some it's do it well. Yeah, I think I think a lot of fans do agree. I think a lot of fans feel that way. Certainly, when mm. you read, you know, on the I know the internet can be a bit of an echo chamber, but from yeah. what I read, like in, in F one media and stuff as well, like the fans are not like oh you know overly into it. So it mm. does feel kind of gimmicky at this point. It feels like that it's kind of disruptive to like the season as well. You get into like a groove of watching Formula One. You know, it's practice on a Friday. You mm. know, you're going to see 
quali on a Saturday morning. I think if you're going to replace any session with a sprint race, you probably need to be ditching FP3 on a Saturday morning because yeah. nothing really happens in FP3 from my own experience. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, what do you really need? And what do you need an FP3 for after you've you've already exactly? You know, it's so broken. You've already had a you've already had yeah. qualifying. Why do you need another practice session? It's just bizarre. It's really really strange where everyone a weekend. So I think that's the session you replace, and that's where you put your sprint. You you potentially put your qualifying in place of FP3, then have a sprint yeah. race in place of quality in the afternoon. on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, the powers that be, and, and I think the politics of Formula 1 kind of stop that from happening, especially in terms of, like, reverse grid races. All of the top teams are scared to death of sort of losing out. So, For sure. Yeah, it makes it really, really difficult. I think it, the, it, part of the big problem with it is just this sport is so driven by the teams and not by the actual people making the rules that, They've almost got too much agency to decide how race weekends go. And yeah, I agree. On, on on the one hand, there's like merit to that. Like it's good that it's that it's a democracy and like everyone has a say and it's almost it's quite unique as a sport in that like, you know, everyone who's competing gets to impact the rules. But I think there are definitely times in recent years where it, that's gone <clears> way too far and and the teams are having too much impact on rules and, and rule changes and stuff like that. And it's just going to the detriment of the sport, which is not good. Yeah. I think this is an example well, of that. I, I was going to say, you know, in a, in a democracy, um, the government is for the people, right? And so in that sense, mm -hmm. I think it is really cool, but it's like, are the teams making a decision that's in the best interest of the fans and the sport in general? A lot of exactly. times yeah. teams are making a decision that's in the best interest of the team. And I think a great example of that is, you know, the Andretti Autosport bid to try and get into the sport. Yeah. They've, they've raised the money. It's a reputable team, you know, the United States and IndyCar and, and basically everything they participate in, they're incredibly successful and backed yeah. by a huge name. They have the money, they're ready to get in, but they can't get in because yeah. they don't have the full approval of the teams. And I think like another couple um, teams in the sport would not, I don't think there's, I mean, I can't think of a scenario would be bad for it, especially yeah. in the U.S. Um, you know, we still... I don't, and I think with as much as the sport has grown here, I don't know that like an American driver, unless it's a really charismatic personality, would further increase the engagement that we're already seeing. But I don't think I don't think it would hurt. So you know, potentially having another American uh, team and 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 even better a driver from here, I think would be a really good thing for for, for F one. Yeah, it's long overdue. It's long, long overdue. Yeah, long overdue. It's, it's it definitely improved the sport. Uh, the next one from Jamal says, do you think there should be a time cap on car repairs during a red flag? At Silverstone, there was a delay of over an hour and many team, uh, many cars were rebuilt despite the fact that being, that, excuse me, despite the fact they'd have no chance in real race conditions. I think minor repairs are okay, but maybe a 15 minute cap should be used. Mm. That's a tricky one. 50-50 with that one for me. I, I get the idea because obviously in a normal racing scenario those cars aren't getting back in the race are they um but no, i but do like i do like the engineering spirit of in the same way like obviously very different in endurance racing but like when you're watching a world endurance race and a car goes off takes some significant damage but then you see those mechanics working their backsides off to get it back on track because being on track is key and you never know what's going to happen to anybody else's race i think I think that needs to be rewarded and that's like a nice way of rewarding it within formula one that we don't get to see very uh, very often is that like rushed repair like 
under very stressful conditions. Um, I think it's if, almost a race in of it in and of itself to yeah. get the car going again, isn't it? Like because yeah. you don't necessarily know when when the when the when you're going to be going racing again at that point. Like if there's a red flag, yeah, it might exactly. Be for Ten minutes, it might be fifteen minutes, it might be for an hour. It could be any amount of time. So yeah. it's really down to them to just see what they can do. I don't really think we need to be introducing extra rules around that either. I think it's fine. I think that's one of those things that's kind of fine the way it is. Like, yeah, you know, it's the kind of thing that I think people want when a team they don't necessarily like <laughs> yeah, for sure. take advantage of it. Ways. But then yeah, as soon yeah. as it happens to their team, they might be a bit less sort of keen on putting a 15 Definitely an on. element of that, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, let's put it this way. If if they could repair all the cars and get them all back on track and you got a 20 car race instead <laughs> of a, what would have been potentially a 15 car race, I'd much rather have 20 cars going around that track racing yeah. for as long as possible. I agree. I think, I think one thing they should bring back to the sport is the spare car. <laughs> ah, yeah wow <laughs> just sprinting sprinting back if to I'm, the pit lane to jump yeah, in the spare yeah. car if that would be really good if, if it wasn't such a budget cap it might be possible but yeah. I don't know if the budget cap is agree to well, yeah it's not budget that friendly that is it yeah. <laughs> uh, next one Jose says do you think we'll see a Haas on the podium this year I think it'd take a lot lucky yeah, yeah take a lot of luck things would have to fall their way for sure um, yeah I would say not not intentionally yeah yeah i'd agree maybe rain 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 race you know crazy red flag with 10 laps to go freakish you know mick schumacher happened to just pit and he's in front type thing it's one of those isn't it yeah (laughs) if they do it's going to take a lot of factors and a lot of sort of things coming together for them for sure yeah Uh, and chris chris has got a question for us um our own chris (laughs) evans is the current heat wave in Europe likely to affect any upcoming races? F1 has, ra- has raced in hot places before, but they always tend to be night races or at least later in the day. Now, what Chris mm. has done there is he's also put a little spelling error in to try and trip me up. I think he's done that on purpose because <laughs> he knew navigated. you'd be the one reading it. I think it. maybe, yeah. I think he might have done <laughs> yeah. so. Thank you for that, Chris. Um, <sighs> I mean, Fran- France could be interesting this weekend, couldn't it? Yeah, we'll find uh, out, won't we? <laughs> yeah, like... There's a lot of lateral movement in those tires. So hot tires, hot track, hotter than usual. The the compounds that they're taking are the they're only a step harder than what we've just had in Austria, aren't they? I don't know if that's usual so for that France. Is that the middle set? That's the middle uh, set. Isn't it? The softest yeah, it's not. It's one one off. We, we we took the very softest to Austria, and then we've every every compound's gone one step up basically. Yeah, this, so it's this the time, middle. So it's slightly harder to C two, C three, and C four. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so be interested to see how that does play out. Um, Hungary gets pretty hot as well. We know that from experience, don't we? Yeah, my goodness. So just... that could be another one in a in a couple of weeks' time. Well, I think yeah. after that, it'll probably have died down. Well, who knows? I mean, this is not the weather podcast, so it's difficult to. I think that in yeah. terms of tire wear, obviously, high temperatures to, to sort of make it a make it this more of a Formula One answer and less of a weather answer. I think <laughs> the um, obviously hot weather means more tire wear, and I think the cars that suffer the most are obviously going to be the cars that are harder on their tires. That's that is the Red Bull. It seems to be at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through the field, I'm not sure what else. The Ferrari's a lot better on its tyres and the Mercedes seems to be a lot better on its tyres as well. So I think if anyone's going to be at a disadvantage because of hot weather, it could be Red Bull, which I think is where Chris is going with that question. Probably. 
And anything to add, Ross? No, I think you guys are much more technical than I am, and I'm certainly not in tune with the current status of the European weather. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, okay, last last couple combined, um, which are funnily enough related to the weather. Connor Daly says, "How are we coping with the heat?" And Brizzle McLaren says, "How many heat puns do you think David Cross is going to get into his production this weekend?" <laughs> loads it's yeah it's gonna be unbearable <laughs> yeah. as usual it's gonna be almost it, as unbearable as the heat itself <laughs> croft loves a pun doesn't he mr croft yeah. so yeah i reckon there'll be a lot of heat puns uh in there for sure um i i can for some reason i envisage a reference to the cars movies don't know why just just think there's going to be one in there that's that's my wild prediction for the weekend um, and in terms of me personally i am a very warm man right now in a closed environment to record a podcast. <laughs> Don't yeah. know about you. <laughs> yeah, I'm very. I mean, you can see on. Well, you guys can't see because you're <laughs> listening, but like uh, my face is very shiny in this camera feed. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm very red. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's just that's just this rubbish camera. But, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Here we are. Uh, and that, that sums us up for this week. So thank you to everyone who sent us questions, and obviously thanks to you, Ross, for joining us and stepping in for questions. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Um, thanks for having yeah. me, guys. Great to hear about Grid Rival. Um, if anyone, as I said before, wants to join our Grid Rival, or, or any other for that matter, you can join any league. It doesn't just have to be ours, but you can head to gridrival.app directly, or there's also links on our website at backofgrid.com. It's out for Predictions League. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, send us questions after the race for the next episode or anything like that, um, you can find us on all the social medias just by searching for Back of the Grid. Uh, and again, you can head to the website there. And there's a contact form, so you can let us know through that. Uh, but that is it. So enjoy your French Grand Prix weekend. And we'll be back next week to recap it all and see how it all went. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. See you.